Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you uh, weren't here, we had a memorial service between our gatherings at our PCC Memorial to Public Servants and to War Veterans. And we have a ministry called Reveille, which works with the VA hospital down in Palo Alto with the war wounded. And we give out uh, scholarships every year to uh, people who've served in the armed forces and are pursuing an education. And uh, this year we announced a scholarship for a young 19-year-old who served in Afghanistan and has a 3.91 GPA at San Jose State. It was a glorious moment. And I'm not, who am I to take President Reagan to task, but I think we can do more than remember. Um, I think it's, um, we all know we live in a country that's being torn apart right now by tension, a lot of tension. And I think it's on us. I know it's on us biblically. According to Second Chronicles chapter 7, God said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face, then I would visit, then I would heal their land. And so as followers of Christ, yes, we live in gratitude for those who gave their lives. Uh, But um, in addition to that, there's a higher gratitude for the one who gave his life, who fills us so we can stand in the gap between the tension and the gap between the conflict. And we can bring about a better and just world while we keep our minds and hearts fixed on the next world. That would be a great honor and tribute to all those men and women who gave their lives for this country. Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, Darnisha, I want to bring you up for a second. Um, This is, don't start my time yet. This is like, this is bonus material right here. Um, It's Darnisha Taylor. And uh, and Peggy, by the way, we are going to say thank you to Tony at the end of the gathering. But Darnisha, you, you kind of dropped something on us. I know that story. You said right. that you had died. Right. Uh, and you reflected uh, that with a good, good father. And I know what you mean by that, who answers prayer. It's not right. just the fact that your husband, Scott, and others brought you back. Uh, pray that you would come back and God graciously let you come back mm-hmm. to life. But what did you mean by that? Can I ask you? When I got a chance to see the part of heaven that the Lord let me see, um, I just, it was a brand new experience. I had never seen anything like this, obviously. (laughs) So I asked God, why do you have me here? Why do you have me kind of experiencing this? And the father was so gracious because I couldn't remember any pain. There was no pain. There was no fear. There was, that didn't exist in this place. So one, he's a God who tells the truth because his word says that every tear will be wiped away from your eyes. The other thing is that, he, that the father did for me is when I, just before I transitioned from this life to the next, I was so afraid. I was so panicky. I was so overwhelmed until I said, Father, if this is your will, then I will trust you. It's then Holy Spirit came in and he came in with a peace that I cannot explain to you. But it's true in the word where God's word says he will give us peace that passes understanding. That peace came in. So those are two things that stand out. And then the third thing was when I decided I wanted to stay in this place and I wanted to experience more of what was going to happen in in the And who wouldn't if you're in heaven? Like, who wouldn't? (laughs) Right. The father actually paused 
made me pause in that moment and pulled me out of the glory of heaven. And I was floating in this place and the father himself spoke to me and said, Darnisha, I want you to relax and let him bring you back. Now for me, I didn't know, like I said, I had no recollection of what had happened, but the father had heard my husband screaming out um, on my behalf and the behalf of the goodness of the Lord. And the Father in heaven said, I can hear his prayer. You can't hear it, but I hear him. And I'm asking you to go back. So that's what I meant by he's a good father because he hears our prayer beyond what we understand. And I know that isn't everybody's uh, testimony of when you're praying for someone who is hurting or lost, but the Lord is a sovereign God and he guides us through and he gives us his grace and his mercy and gives us what we need in those moments to walk. So can you pray for those hurting in that place and just holding on to what we saw in the character of God? Could you pray for us and then we'll jump into the message. Father, we just give you glory this morning. We thank you because there isn't anybody who can compare to you. Father, we thank you that you are attentive to each of us individually. You said there's not a sparrow on this planet that I don't know what's going on. Don't you realize that every hair on your head is numbered? So, Lord, we ask you to guide us through the circumstances that are placed before us, those that we have encountered because of our own uh, mistakes and those, oh God, that you are requiring us to walk through because it will bring us more into the likeness of Christ. Father, we just ask you to let our hearts and our minds be attuned to you. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And Father, I pray for the hurting in this room, that your healing would flow, that their eyes would be open to who you are, and that there would be fresh revelation, oh God, as they walk this journey. Thank you, Lord, because you said that your grace is sufficient that even though you cannot bypass the situation, I will walk with you through it. Thank you for your word and your assurance. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. So we're in this series called Love Does, and we are talking about the overflow of the love of Jesus, how it should overflow into other areas of our life. The the application of this series is not do more. The application is to let Jesus do through you, to let it overflow. Does that make sense? Do you know the difference? So we're talking today about children and uh, how love empowers children. Now, don't give me the church answer. You can, but I'm not looking for the church answer. When you see this statement, children are... When you think of 2018, talk loud, what would you say? Children are what? Exhausting. Okay, there we go. We're keeping it real. What else? Precious. Honest. Spontaneous. Oh my goodness. Okay, wait a second. Innocent. Loving. Two more. Teachers. Teachers. Did I hear awesome? Oh, I heard exhausting. Okay, let's do that one again. Vulnerable. Okay. You know, my most common answer, and it happened again uh, this week. I was down in Santa Barbara ministering at a conference. And when I was introduced, that says expensive, everybody. 
when I was introduced as a father of five daughters, uh, it's not that the fact they're daughters, but five kids, there's a the collective gasp in the room. Happens in every place I go. And it's true. Uh, I just checked before I came up here today. It costs uh, $223,610. 223610 to raise a child from birth to college. Not in my house. Not in my house. <laughs> awesome. So I want to be clear as we talk about love empowers children. Um, I'm not giving a message on parenting. That was actually last week. It was a great one. You can go to the podcast. I want to build a case for the value of children here and out there in our community. We believe at PCC, and this is, I got a few bold statements today, that God's heart for children is central to his character. The heart of God for kids is central to his character. I'm going to build all this out in scripture in a moment. I believe this with all my heart. When it comes to that city, which we're desperately trying to bring new life to, whoever wins the kids wins the city. Whoever wins the kids wins the city. Now jump down, please, to our mission statement. This is why we exist, bottom of page one. Look at this. If you fly your flag at PCC and be a part of this community, here's what we're going to always be pushing towards. This is not something we created. This is something God gave us. It's why PCC is on the planet. Look at it, okay? Empowering generations to passionately follow Jesus Christ one home at a time. Can we say that together? Are you ready? empowering generations to passionately follow Jesus Christ one home at a time. Currently, and we've done the demographic study, there are about 5% of the homes in our city that are Christ-centered homes. That means 95% of the homes in our city are not Christ-centered homes. And that should be alarming. Sadly, it's not alarming enough to the 5%. And I'm not here to judge. I'm indicted. I know this. If 95% of our parents kept kids out of school, alarm bells would ring at the school board office and things would be done. If 95% of the Teslas that were purchased on this peninsula broke down within a month, alarm bells would go off. If 95% of the iPhones broke down within a month and didn't function how they were supposed to function, do you think our culture would be okay with that? Not at all. Everyone's alarm bells would go off. My friends, who I've labored with for 21 years, I want to sound the alarm bells when it comes to this statistic that 95% of our homes are not Christ-centered homes. Our mission is all about a called-out community called PCC, gathering, growing, giving towards one end to empower the generations. And we have five that call PCC home to passionately follow Christ one home at a time. And we believe Reaching kids is pivotal to that experience and to gathering, uh, to walking into that reality. Look at this quote from a guy named Reggie Joyner. It's great. He heads a great ministry that we've 
tied into as a student and family and kids ministry called Orange. He said, no one should feel more welcome in your church than a screaming baby. Think Christmas Eve, a hormonal kid or a defiant teenager. So to that end, I'm going to make another bold statement. If we're going to be faithful in our mission and our community, what we do for kids and teens matters more than anything else we do on this campus and in this ministry. Just let that sit. You might push back, and that's okay. You're not here to agree with me. But we are here to wrestle with the truth. What we do for kids and teens and children matters more than anything we do as a church. Where do I get that? You heard Mark 9 being read? Turn forward in a chapter to Mark chapter 10. And let's see if there's any truth and any teeth to that bold statement. You can disagree with me. But I want to take you to the word and see where I get that from. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Are you there? Mark chapter 10, you can turn on your Bible, you can open your Bible. Mark chapter 10, you can turn to page 2. It's all right there in your message notes. Mark 10. Here we go. Is everyone there? Okay. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place their hands on them. Now, Mark calls them little children. That, this story, this New Testament, was not written in English. It was written in the Middle East in a, a language called Koine Greek. And the word that Mark uses is little children, a general word. Luke tells the same story, and he uses a much more specific word. The Greek language of Jesus' day was very specific. And the word Luke uses is the word for baby, like birth, to two years old. So these are the children that parents are bringing to Jesus. Barely walking, if walking at all, in their arms, infants, little children. Of course they would, picture it. Crowds are around Jesus, he's teaching like he does. People are drawn to him. He's teaching about the kingdom of God, about eternal life. What parent wouldn't want their child to be touched by Jesus? Wouldn't you? 95% of our peninsula homes don't want that. They're not clamoring to bring their children to Christ. I grew up as one of those in a home. I'm still living with scars from that. I had great parents. We were a religious home. We were not a Christ-centered home. And I can still remember as a teenager looking in the mirror after parties and after things, just going, who are you? I was so undefined. If I would have just been brought to Jesus and let him define me, not only would I not have the scars as an adult, my family wouldn't live with scars as an adult. And I'm in the process of being made whole, But 95% of our homes are walking away from that experience. And we exist to stand in the gap and to come to Christ on their behalf. And to say to Jesus, if they knew all that was on the line, they'd be here themselves. But we are going to, as a church, as empowered generations, we are going to stand in the gap on behalf of those kids. That's always been, that, that mission preceded me 
and it will far outlast me till Christ returns. So that's what's going on. Do you understand the scene? Dusty, out in the mountainside, uh, rural area. He's teaching, and these little infants are being brought. And look what happens with his followers. But the disciples, what's the next word? Rebuked them. What? That's almost like an oxymoron. Those two words shouldn't go together. Literally, it means they intensely admonished them. This wasn't crowd control. This wasn't, excuse me, um, Jesus doesn't have time. Can you please? It was admonishing. Get out of here. He doesn't have time for this. They intensely admonished them. Their worldview, which was right in line with the uh, Jewish worldview of the day, was that children had no priority when it comes to people in God. Adults had the priority. So right here, I just stop at verse 13, and this isn't like deep exegesis or deep Greek study. I just see from the English, there's really two types of people when it comes to kids. Bringers and barriers. Do you see that? That, that? Anybody can do that, right? That's just my devotion of reading the word and going, wow, look at that. And I have to ask myself, and I'm not the poster child for a bringer, what is it in my attitudes, in my priorities, in the way I spend my time, in the way I spend my money, that is bringing children to Christ? What is it in my attitudes, in my priorities, in the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, that's a barrier for kids to come to Christ. Have you ever thought about our time here on Sunday morning? We touch about 200 kids every Sunday morning. What is it in our attitudes, in our priorities, in the spirit with which we come? And I'm, we do it great. You're going to hear that in a minute. So I, I, have, you know, I, have, I don't have an ax to grind here. I love this church. But I'm just asking, what is it in your spirit of coming here that is a bringing attitude when it comes to kids in Christ? And what is it that's a barrier attitude when it comes to kids in Christ? Can you imagine what it would look like for PCC? Can you imagine what it would look like for PCC to be fanatical about bringing kids to Christ in our city? I don't have to imagine, because I see it. I see it every day as my daughter's a third grader at Clifford School. And she started her public school career in Redwood City School District in a disciple of Jesus disguised as a kindergarten teacher named Janet Wilkerson. Janet has been serving for 31 years at Clifford School. She is literally the stuff of legends. And her calling in children's ministry is to love kids on the public school campus and provide a safe haven for them. My daughters have experienced that. I've seen it. I've never been in Stephen, our drummer. You're so much more than a drummer, bro. But Stephen Wang, he's an AP history teacher in the high school district. His heart and passion, I've sat with this guy is not only to impart history at a very high level for teenagers, but to do so in a safe environment to get them thinking well 
And even though you probably can't use the word thinking kingdom-like as a high school student, come here on a Wednesday night and you'll see it. As uh, well over 100 kids and students are gathered here and across the bridge and children and God's girls and God's guys, middle schoolers, high schoolers, it's alive And for at least three hours, it's not about Snapchat and social media, although that happens. It's about being loved unconditionally so that kids can thrive. Show up here at 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock, and there'll be vans just pulling up with over 100 kids through our grammar school system that are picked up through school-age child care, and they're dropped off here to a loving staff who loves them and meets them. And even though it's uh, because it's uh, state-licensed, Even though it's optional, only one kid is pulled out. All hundred gather in this sanctuary to learn about Jesus. From homes, 95% of whom don't feel comfortable coming on a Sunday. But they'll pay us to care for their kids. Go to eight of the ten grammar school campuses where we have disciples of Jesus disguised as PE coaches doing P.E. plus because the schools entrusted P.E. in the grammar schools to us. 3,000 kids a week touched through our staff who just want to give a good experience to a kid. That's what being a bringer looks like. And that's what we want to foster more and more and more. So how did Jesus respond to this? Look at verse 14. When Jesus saw this, What was he, church? I don't know how that word sits with you, but we built it out on the top of page two. It means to be pained, to be angry, to be vexed. Remember I told you the Greek language is very specific. There's a word range for anger. This is the most extreme word for anger in the Greek language. And it's the only time it's used of Jesus. It's used of uh, religious people towards Jesus. (laughs) It's never used of Jesus except here. Now think about that. Just think with me. You are the object of worship. You are the, the center of the universe. You are eternal and you unzip time and you step into time on planet earth and you see humanity at its worst, right? Think of all that Jesus saw. It's what he sees today. He only got righteously angry at one thing. He was was upset. He had compassion. But his righteous anger, in this term, only came out once. When he saw religious people keeping kids from him. Think of all the immorality and brokenness Jesus came across. And he didn't blow it like humans do, like I do sometimes, and his anger goes out of bounds. His anger is always directed towards good. And so he does something with this. And by the way, that's why I think what we do for kids and teens matters more than anything else we do. It's not the only thing we do. I'm so proud that we have four gatherings and we minister to five generations. But you ask me, I'll go on record, I am going on record on this podcast, the most important thing we do is what we do for kids and teens. Not just in our church, not just in your home, in this community. So what does he do? What does Jesus say? Look at verse 14. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. 
For the kingdom of God belongs as such as these. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is only this. He doesn't say it's only Jewish babies that can come into the kingdom of God. No, he says, you know what? You think these kids, these babies don't have a place in the kingdom? Think again. See, again, the Jewish thought of the day was that only the people who could bring value to God had a place in the kingdom. And so here are these babies who uh, don't bring value in the sense of utilitarian value. There's nothing they functionally do that brings merit. They don't build a church. They don't give so you're over budget. They don't serve. They don't do It's just a baby, right? They suck energy out of you. And Jesus said, I didn't come for people who could only do good. I came for people who add nothing to me and I give them grace so they can be good. Do you understand that difference? This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God loves you even when you feel like you can't add anything to God. That's why it's good. And then he does this. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. And look at this. Look at this next line. This is amazing to me. And he took the children in his arms. It literally means he enfolded himself around the child. Can you picture it? Holding one. Can you imagine what that was like? And he didn't just hold them. Look at this. He placed his hands on them. And he, what's the next word? Spoke blessing over them. The way this is set up in the original language, it wasn't like Jesus did a children's sermon. Come on, kids, come here. We've got to tell you something. As if he stopped the message, stopped the crowd, and one by one took a child and held it and spoke over it. I can just see it. What, what, what's this one's name? Even though he knew he wanted to hear the name. Oh, this is Abraham. Abraham. Before creation. I had you in mind. Abraham, you will be great in the kingdom of heaven. What's this one's name? Sarah, Sarah. I saw the day before I even said, let there be light. I said, let there be Sarah. Look at you. You will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And all the adults are going... Come on. And Jesus says, you can wait all you long, want to. I've got all the time in the world for kids. And he spoke over them. Does anyone know the name um, Heather Whitestone? Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Heather Whitestone is, in 1994, was Miss Alabama. In 1995, Heather Whitestone was Miss America. What makes her unique was that Heather Whitestone is uh, the first hearing and only hearing impaired Miss America, the only physically dis, uh, disabled or challenged Miss America. And they were asking her after she was crowned Miss America, like, how in the world did you ever think you could enter and win the Miss America contest? She came into her hearing impairment later in life uh, as a kid, and she said, I grew up in rural Alabama. And we had a milkman. Is that bringing anyone back to a place? And she said, um, I would go out to get the milk. 
And the milkman would see me and he'd say this every morning, good morning, Miss America. And she said pretty soon, you know, as I grew older and lost my hearing, I never forgot those words spoken over me. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was speaking over words because he longed for them. And can I just say he longs for all of us to believe his words more than our culture's words over us. So let's enter the world of a teenager. Our speaker last week taught me. I may have been 16, but I was never the age my fourth daughter is right now. The world she's growing up in as a sophomore in high school is completely different than the world I grew up in. I read this morning from the American Psychological Association that the average teenager lives with the same amount of stress of the person who in the 1950s was admitted to a psychiatric institution. So think of some of the stress that teenagers live in. Can you just think of what's unique to the stress of teenagers today? Just call it out. Grades. Peer pressure through social media. What else? Looks. What else? What? Perfection. Relationships. Parental conflict. What? Safety. Sexuality. What? Gender issues. Bullying. 30% of teenagers today have been or will be bullied before they get out of high school. What else? Achievement. You can go on and on, right? Finances, I said that. Social media, body image. This is the stress that teenagers are living in. Oh, can I just add one more? Being shot at school. My third grader, I told you this a month ago, at, at uh, Clifford, they had a lockdown drill in case a shooter ever comes on campus. And I was talking last Sunday night with my girls. I'm like, Dad, is it getting worse? I'm like, well, I'll tell you this. We had fire drills, never had lockdown drills. Never once worried walking on my campus if a shooter would be released. The question is, how do you solve this? Where does this go to? And I'm all for therapists and counseling and what have you. But the goal and what Jesus did was through his spirit, Jesus was speaking over them some new words about new life. And he longs to raise up the church to speak truth over those hundreds of kids who come on our campus. So it's so filled with truth. The pressure's released. When they believe the truth of God's word more than the truth of the culture, more than the truth of social media, more than the truth of media in the news. That's why Jesus said, stop hindering. Let him come to me. Get out of the way. Let him come. Let him come. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What if I told you right now in our kids' room, our third grade room right now, is the next generation's Martin Luther King Jr. And the racial tension we live in as a country one day is going to be eradicated or greatly diminished through that little snot-nosed kid. And we need someone to go care and love and pray over and speak through 
the future over their life? What if I told you in our fifth grade, the, the middle schoolers who left, you, that girl who was sitting right here who got up and left that you high-fived? She's actually going to be the next generation's Mother Teresa. And God's going to use her to greatly diminish poverty in her generation. But right now, she's an awkward fifth grade girl. And someone needs to see through that and all her pain and speak God's truth so it's eradicated in her life so she can make a difference. What if I told you at Fair Oaks right now is a third grader who can't read and we're looking for someone for an hour a week to read over them and they're going to be the next generation, their generation, Steph Curry. And they're going to change the game of basketball and use the platform of basketball to spread the gospel in ways that pastors can't. But they're not following Christ right now. They're in a broken home and they can't read. And they'll never get to college with a scholarship unless they learn to read. And someone needs to teach them to read and be constant in their life. So as they grow up, you just don't quit after third grade. You're there for fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade. And oh yeah, you invite them up here and they come to Christ and their whole life is changed for the future. And you shot an arrow into the future that far outlasts you. What if I told you we have parents, foster parents in our community, and they're fostering right now the next Billy Graham? We're all looking for who has that mantle. What if I told you it's in our church disguised as a foster child? And we need a couple to give that foster parent one night off, free babysitting, and one weekend, a quarter where you take the next generation Billy Graham in so they can be rejuvenated in their foster care and they can give their best to provide security for that foster child who will grow up to be the next generation Billy Graham. Do you have that picture, bro, of the quote with the, the man standing up? He's not the next generation Billy Graham. This, this man right here was in the foster care system and he's being used by God to lead hundreds of thousands of people to Christ and influence the church. His name's Josh Shipp. You can Google him. He said this. He grew up as a foster kid. He should have been a statistic. But because some Christians entered his life and cared, he said every kid is one caring adult away from being a statistic, a success story. Sorry. So back to this. Children are? Yes, they're exhausting. Yes, they're precious. Yes, they're spontaneous. Yes, they're honest. Yes, they're expensive. Yes, they're vulnerable. But at the top of our list, what we want in our lens is this. Children are made in the image of God. They bear God's image. And they have no rights. They're completely vulnerable. And as adults, I'll be honest, and I'm indicting me, the world we've handed them, not a good world. We haven't done well by them. In the church, we're trying to change that. Why are we trying to do this? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. So what do we want to do with this? I've got to land this plane. Two things. We want you to believe, first and foremost. We want you to believe. Renew your mind when it comes to kids. Yes, I know all those things are true, but at the forefront, renew your mind that these, the Bible says, are image bearers who Jesus prioritized. And the second thing, we are asking you to commit, all of us to commit when it comes to kids. What do I mean by that? 
I would just say this, and I wrote this down. The next slide, I, I would redo this order a little bit. Can you go to the three things, Barney? I'd start with the home. We want to encourage, resource, uh, outfit you in the best way possible. We have, uh, we, God has raised up uh, some amazing youth workers in Danny, in Katie, who you saw up here, Johnny, in Tom. Uh, we have amazing youth workers in our family and student ministries who are completely committed, giving themselves so that you at home can be outfitted. I can be outfitted as a dad to be the primary pastor of our kid. Start at home. And by the way, the next thing I would say about your home, share your home. Let your home in your block be the place that kids want to go to. Um, it's, just, it's just a no-brainer. And when you come across a kid, treat them as an adult. Get on their level. Smile at them. Don't let them be treated the way our culture treats them. And then serve at church. Our family ministry, I'm told by our staff, well, here's the magic number, and I want everyone to pray for this, please. Can you go to that 77? There it is. We need 77 people to volunteer in our student, family, and children's ministry. To volunteer on a Sunday downtown at Hudson. Uh, we have to, I mean, Hudson's exploding with kids, and we have to shut classes down. So guests are coming. I've met them, and the kids have to sit with them in the service. And they're thinking, gosh, this isn't good. And I'm thinking this isn't good. But we have this safe church policy. We've got to keep parent-student ratio. Would you please, would you, every one of us, pray that number? Write it somewhere and let that be the focus of your prayers. Unashamedly, I'm just telling you, whoever wins the kids wins the city. This is, this is our mountain. We need 77 people to step up. Uh, and if you want to step up, if you want to be a part of the solution, just grab one of those communication cards, give us your name and email, and we'll follow up with you ASAP on this. We'll train you, we'll equip you. It's fun. And don't think you're too old or you've blown it too far. Uh, that couldn't be the case. God is just looking. We're just looking for people who are consistent. So start at home. Share your home. Pray for PCC, please, that we would have a generational perspective and not a selfish perspective when it comes to kids. That's the need, to give ourselves, to empower the generations, to passionately follow Christ one home at a time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that this is your heart. And Lord, we want your heart more than anything else. So please guide us to that end. Father, I pray that we would use the freedom you've given us to act in obedience in ways you want us to. We love you and we thank you and we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. And everybody said? Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.